Hello, and welcome everyone to November's World Goodwill Meditation Webinar. Um, this webinar takes place on the last Wednesday of every month, and it is an occasion for the World Goodwill Group to meet, reflect on one of humanity's current issues and the ongoing initiatives, Goodwill initiatives, targeting that issue and also meditate. Um, our next meeting will be on the 28th of December. Today, however, we are working under the influence of the energy of Sagittarius. And our theme, as you can see on your screens, is education and the future of humanity. Quite a hot theme. Uh, it's also quite fitting as this particular cosmic influence on this plane engages with the broader issue of self-improvement, including education. My colleague from the New York World Goodwill Desk, Michael Galloway, will be with us today. And he will contribute to today's work by presenting a different perspective on the role education has to play in humanity's future. Before anything, though, uh, let us take a moment to center ourselves using the mantra of the new group of world servers. May the power of the one light pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May we fulfill our part in the one work through self-forgetfulness harmlessness, and right speech. I think now we can formally begin and I will continue, I will begin actually, I will begin with um, a presentation that's focusing on education as a means of conscious evolution. Um, I've drawn my inspiration from an, a phrase in the book um, Esoteric Psychology, and I'm going to share it with you because essentially it is the starting point of what I will share with you today. So when right education, which is the true science of adaptation, and right religion, which is the culture of the sense of divinity, and right scientific unfoldment, which is the correct appreciation of the form or forms through which the subjective life of divinity is revealing itself, can be brought into right relation to its other and thus supplement each other's conclusions and efforts, we shall then have men and women trained and developed in all parts of their natures. They will then be simultaneously citizens of the kingdom of souls, creative members of the great human family, and sound animals with the animal body so developed that it will provide the necessary instrument upon the outer plane of life for divine, human, and animal revelation. This, the coming new age, will see take place, and for it, men are today consciously or unconsciously preparing. Um, these words were written in the middle of the previous century, so we would be right to assume that 
some work has already been done. And this conscious or unconscious preparation has been underway for quite a few decades now. At the moment, the issue of education seems to be very prominently put forth as um, a vital means of responding to the ongoing global shift. In any conversation we may find ourselves in concerning the current political or social or economic situation, someone will most certainly mention the issue of education. Uh, this is a result of the fact that we are experiencing a, a shift. It is a shift because, because essentially we are experiencing a crisis and crisis point to periods in time when a certain manner of understanding or of organization and the outer form by which it is expressed appears to be reaching a peak or in other words, to fulfill its purpose. So in a manner of speaking, it is both a period of attainment and success, but also a period of loss because we have forms that have fulfilled their purpose. So their, let's say that their life cycle is nearing its end. The crisis, the multi-level crisis that we're experiencing currently, ensues due to a temporary standstill that results, results from the inability of the existing forms to take it further, take us further, take any issue that they are expressing further. This can be observed in everyday life as the absence of development or improvement, but not for lack of effort or action. It's for lack of meaning or fulfillment. It's certain that we cannot be accused as humanity for not, not making an effort or not trying. We are all very busy. We are all doing our best, but sometimes we seem to be missing something. A crisis can also be a byproduct of temporarily moving in an erroneous direction. And this is something that can happen because of the absence of a clearly and adequately defined purpose. In order to think these things through, one must accept as a working hypothesis that there is an inner reality and that all outer forms and occurrences on the personal and group level are expressions of this inner reality. And this is a hypothesis which is then left to each to examine, to test and to ascertain or reject for themselves. But in order for me to um, present my thoughts on the matter, I have to inform you that they are made on the basis of this assumption. So the main points to be considered in relation to the role of education in this period of crisis in this like global shift would be a the fact that we have a crisis b to acknowledge that a crisis indicates a form that has reached its, its peak and has fulfilled its purpose that that could actually be the foremost 
the form of a civilization, okay? We should also acknowledge the necessity of a new purpose that can inspire the creation of a new form. And the fact that the determination of a new form for education will facilitate the attainment of the purpose, of the new purpose that has been conceived. In the excerpt that I shared with you before, education was put forth as the science of adaptation because it, enab it enables the group soul, be it national or global, to cultivate and develop the virtues required for the attainment of its purpose in the future. It is a happy, it, it is a happy occurrence that the discussion on the purpose of education has already been opened decisively. And it is acknowledged on a large scale that any educational overhaul must start with the definition of the purpose of education if it is to be effective and if it is to be successful. A point that confuses when one is thinking the purpose of education and education as the science of adaptation, how do these two come together? is that usually adaptation is thought as applying to the current circumstances. They may be inner moods, thoughts, or they, they may actually be outer conditions, like physical conditions or uh, financial limitations and abilities. So we're thinking of adaptation as meaning that. So how does education feature in that as the science of adaptation? This type of adaptation to what already is functions on the lowest possible level because it, it addresses outcomes mostly. And for this reason, it necessitates much effort and requires many material resources such as infrastructure and funds and many non-material resources such as time and attention. So it is rather wasteful. It is a last resort, let's say. So in this context, it might be wise to consider an alternative type of adaptation. So namely, that would be adaptation to a purpose that has been conceived, but hasn't been materialized. In that manner, education, um, instead of acting merely as a patch, as a means to survive in an already defined situation, could also act to prevent the emergence of future, is future issues, rather than be repeatedly called, called upon to facilitate efforts to resolve existing issues. Of course, neither approach can be used to the exclusion of the other because it would be it would be unrealistic. Education as a science of adaptation, drawing solely on the current problems, would be a little bit flat. It would have no connection to the future, no connection to a purpose in the future from which to, let's say, draw its um, draw its draw energy to be driven forward and education as an adaptation merely to a future purpose might be a little bit theoretical ineffective so it's very obvious that these two approaches have to work in tandem um, the collaborative work of uh, Alice Pale in the Tibetan Master Dwarku 
um, um, from whose work was the excerpt that I shared earlier, is a good example of education as a means to adapt to a purpose, but also education as a means to respond to existing problems. So response to existing problems and prevention of existing tendencies from becoming manifested problems. In that way, education can function as this science of adaptation by supporting humanity while humanity is treading the way from its present to the perceived future. A similar process of planning on two, um, on two different fronts is actually already taking place in all major organizations, um, either national or international. We have long-term planning, which is exactly that, is setting a greater purpose somewhere further down the line and determining smaller, um, smaller aims closer to the present. Um, for example, we might have, we have the 2030 in education, there is the UN initiatives that's called Schools 2030. It hasn't, it hasn't begun this year, so it's been going on for a few years. So this is, could be sort of a long-term project. And then we have initiatives that are looking to create effects within the next year or the next year and a half. In working in that way, we can both, we can both stay in touch with our current, with our present reality, with its problems and its possibilities, but we can also start creating the form required for the materialization of the future purpose that we have linked ourselves to. As I said, the, the conversation, what the actual purpose of uh, education is, is ongoing. There is no definitive answer. One of the ideas that is highlighted very frequently is clearly inclusiveness. It's, uh, it's certain that it's not the first time that we will have heard this. And the other idea is um, that the, the, the concept of sustainability has to expand to encompass much more than a financial concept. And it has to encompass psychological balance. It has to encompass mental balance and emotional balance. And these are brought into the discussion on education. Because one of the main, let's say, of the main um, roles that education has to serve is to help humanity create a sustainable future. At the moment, we see that there is a revision even of the concept of what sustain sustainability is. Um, I would say that it is a hopeful time because most of the main issues that education is facing have been identified and there are efforts underway for their resolution. The World Goodwill Group had the opportunity to attend a recent UN summit on education in uh, September. And we were all in agreement 
that the the conversative discussions and that took place were very meaningful. The youth whom uh, education concerns first and foremost were there, they were present and they were actively engaging with the summit. So we can't say that we are at the point where we are inactive on the front of transforming education. It is being discussed. The main issues have been identified. There are initiatives, there are ongoing initiatives, which you may see we have tried to summarize some on the World Goodwill blog. So please visit if you're further interested in um, in the developments on that front. And also feel free to browse the Transforming Education UN Summit. You will find a lot of meaningful material regarding the current developments on the issue of education. So that was it from me. And um, I would like to give you a few moments um, to see if you want to um, add something or um, ask something before I pass on the torch to Michael Galloway, my New York colleague, who is going to give his own perspective on education. So are there any questions or comments? Nothing. I see a hand here from David Trice. You see a hand. Sadly. I'm going to ask him to unmute, OK? Yes, please, Michael, do. Go ahead, David. Can you hear me, Michael? Yeah, we can hear you. OK. Um, when I was a child, I was exposed to corporal punishment. And okay. I, I uh, looked it up, and it still exists, but it's been reduced considerably. I was wondering what you had uh, thoughts about this. Well, I'm not an expert in education, um, but my take on that is that issues that have persisted for very long periods of time in the life of humanity, and that's exactly the case with corporal punishment, can't really be wiped out in a single moment. Um, at the moment, I think, at least in the West and to a certain extent in, in the East as well, we're making progress in acknowledging that corporal punishment is not conducive to learning or to the balanced emotional and mental development of children. So this is widely acknowledged. But in order for it to be implemented, it has to, let's say, um, precipitate, to sink in. And that, that entails many different factors, depending on which geographical era, area you're referring to, the type of teaching personnel that's available, for example, if um, a teacher is, um, let's say, used to using corporal punishment and is not um, actively stopped from doing so, it might be very difficult for them to take that in. Um, but as I said, I think there's much progress made. I come from a culture that corporal punishment used to be allowed. Um, in um, in the in the in the time just before I went to school, so my my mother, for example, would have such examples, but it was not the case in in my education. And I went to a state school; I wasn't in a private school or anything. So I I can say that there progress is being made. However, you have to allow for all the factors that make up education, and that's not just legislation, it's the actual personnel, 
it's the it's uh, probably um, the the yeah it's habit essentially it's habit so it has it has to do a lot with that and it's a cultural thing as well some cultures let's say don't frown upon corporal punishment as much as others but I think globally we've come a long way from what used to be and that is success because it marks progress could it be accelerated certainly thank you very much ma'am no problem so michael i think we don't have any more questions or comments so please proceed with your presentation and let me know when you need your slides all right yeah we'll do thank you evangelia um that was a great presentation i really um have a lot to think about there so thank you science of adaptation science of education and i was thinking also about the science of meditation as well and how that relates to that um but i'm going to take looking, a little bit of a looking forward to yours because i think it you know it works very they work very well together so mm, yes thank you. thank you yeah so yeah what i was going to say is i'm taking a little bit of a, a different perspective from evangelia and um We'll present today on um, two um, specific um, UNESCO reports on education. Um, and in reviewing this topic, education, the future of humanity, I think nobody would really um, disagree um, that education is vital to humanity's future. But there are several questions which still remain. Uh, most of all, you know, what sort of future should our educational system support? As in, what values and ideas will condition the culture and society of the next 50 years, the next 100 years? And what qualities will that civilization demonstrate? Education determines this. Um, today, humanity is definitely asking these questions and working its way towards a solution which says that education must support a future based on principles of well-being, self-actualization, and right relationship with the whole. And this trend is clearly demonstrated in these two UNESCO reports, which I'd like to just um, outline very briefly. The first is a recent publication by the ISEE Working Group, stands for International Science and Evidence-Based Education. Um, it was published earlier this year and is the result of three years of careful and rigorous cross-disciplinary academic study um, on education and the scope of which has never been done before in this field. The study sought to address two fundamental questions. First, are education systems serving the right purpose, very much related to what Evangelia was talking about? And two, are we equipped to address the pressing challenges we face today in the field of education. That was the basis of the report. Um, it went on to say, you know, educational policy has been widely influenced by anecdotal information. And there hasn't really been a cross-disciplinary study of this scope done before. It's been done in other fields, such as the environmental field, but this is the first of its kind in education. And so um, I think the study is incredibly consequential um, and in my own opinion, it reveals a new level of what I would call creative wisdom within humanity. And it's clear um, to those of us who maybe have studied some of the ageless wisdom or other, way, other wisdom traditions um, that humanity is really beginning to clean house when it comes to um, the many problems it faces and really to take control of its future. Um, the scope of, and eventually, if you could go ahead and share the first slide, um, the scope of this study really required a comprehensive conceptual framework in which to structure the study, um, which included the whole study of the whole field of knowledge of education um, in relation to the various social and societal linkages in which it must be understood and in which it exists. Um, I love these sorts of charts. We could talk about it all day, but just very briefly, I'd like to just describe what it is. The bottom left here, you see the learning experience. You know, this is the experience of the student in the classroom, for instance, or, or wherever they may be learning. You know, 
what are they learning? Is it knowledge? Is it empathy? Is it um, certain actions, forms of communication? And what way are they learning through imitation, through play, um, through introspection? And where is the study taking place? Um, this next part, very interesting, just above it, learning to. They're learning, of course, to know um, and to do, to act. Um, but also here we see this, this form includes learning to be, to become something. And perhaps most importantly, learning to live together in relation to their societies and to humanity as a whole. This leads in, if you go just straight up to this idea of human flourishing, which is, um, I think, sort of um, very, very important. And I'll get more to that in a moment. Um, Going to the right here, mediating factors. This is the environment in which the learning takes place. Very consequential to understanding, you know, the learning process um, and the things that it affected, the environment in which it takes place. This can be um, any of those things listed there. Uh, the bottom right here, education-specific policies and practices. This is this is basically the national or local policies, the pedagogies, the curriculum, the, um, the sort of structures which the teachers follow and which determine the type of education that's given. Um, what this framework demonstrates really, um, besides a lot of specifics, is that education is a very complex system. Uh, and what this means, and I'm gonna quote in the words of the report, is that it is multiple components working both independently and interdependently that prevent the system from being fully controlled and predicted and hence bound to evolve in unexpected ways." End quote. Um, the education environment, of course, is very complex. It's unpredictable, as I said. Curriculums vary widely based on any number of national, regional, cultural, religious factors. And these curriculums um, have many common and universal themes, but they are not always fully compatible. Um, all students learn and relate to each other and very differently. Each have their own unique combinations of history and psychology. So though there is sameness, there is also a difference across these different markers. Um, and yet one of the very unifying principles in this very complex and diverse system, um, which is featured very prominently in this report is this idea of human flourishing. Um, this concept, which is actually a very old concept, by the way, is emerging more prominently into public consciousness. And I think this is evidence in the report, but I think it's really a result of the synthesis of many different lines of thinking. You have on one hand, the economic and the social, the religious and the scientific, the individual and the group, and today all these different lines of thoughts are coming together. And so what we see featured now is human flourishing. Benjali, could you just go to the next slide, please? Um, sort of along this line of synthetic thinking along two different lines of approach, we can see um, in, and this is, this, these charts, this chart is from the report as well, that there's really these two different trends in the um, conceptions of education's role in development over the last um, 80 years or so. Um, the first trend here at the top, which we could really call the human capital trend, we all know this pretty well. In the 1940s, the maximization of GDP became the main policy objective of governments, first in the US, then Europe, and shortly thereafter the rest of the world. Um, models of growth in that time focused mostly on investment and physical capital, um, but it wasn't until human capital theory in the 1960s emerged that um, education began to become very much conditioned by um, economic discourse. Uh, human capital theory says basically that human beings um, are, are forms of capital and since they are, they are an economic investment and that if they are more knowledgeable, better trained, they can better contribute to the maximization of the country's economic output. Um, in other words, a skilled workforce is more profitable. Um, this continued throughout the 1960s and 70s and the 1980s. There was even more emphasis on growth, on privatization, and on markets, um, and also further emphasis on, the, on that education needed to support an increasingly knowledge-based economy. Um, this trend uh, obviously in some ways continues today. The point of this trend though, and highlighting it is that at this, and during this time, this trend was largely emphasized at the expense of other 
goals of education, non-economic goals. Second trend here we see we could call maybe the, um, the human development trend, um, which emphasizes mostly the non-economic aims of education. UNESCO has been instrumental since 1945 when it is founded in this trend. Um, um, and the whole UNESCO's big thing is that education is a basic human right, right? And this isn't necessarily incompatible with the first trend either. Human rights aren't, um, but it is different in that it goes beyond just economic, the economic um, gains as a human right. It includes the whole field of rights, um, dignity, social justice, cultural and ethnic diversity. Um, human development really requires meeting the basic needs of all people. Um, in 1970s, this became really to be emphasized, um, at least in the West, there was this big emphasis on the basic, basic human needs. Those that are in poverty, for instance, need to be taken care of. Um, this developed throughout the 1970s, the importance of these rights, um, individual social and political freedoms began to grow um, into the 80s, 90s. Um, and especially during this time, the idea that in order for human rights, um, in order for the individual's rights to be taken care of, everybody had to have those rights. And so it had to be every person. Um, in order for the individual's rights to be fulfilled, everybody's rights had to be fulfilled. Um, Moving into the 2000s, we see really the, the further development of this human development approach and uh, what's called the capability approach, which is sort of an academic um, distinguishing between um, two types of human rights. There is what's called, let me go back up real quick, um, basically between functioning, which is what people do or have, the rights to do something, the rights to have something, and the capability which is the whole range of possibilities that this person can choose to do or to be. And so basically it's the human right to be that is central, obviously to concerns about um, considerations of education. So we see the development in the 2000s more of even further development of human, develop of, um, the human development approach. Um, human flourishing can actually be seen in both trends. We see in the first trend this idea that human flourishing is, um, you know, in order for the individual to flourish, their economic needs must be met. The society as a whole must prosper, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're all sort of familiar with that, um, that line of approach. Um, the point though is that everybody agrees basically human flourishing should exist, um, but they may not agree on what human flourishing really entails. Um, but the report really clearly defines what this should be in the context of education. I'd like just to quote very briefly what that is. Um, in the words of the report, quote, and um, human flourishing is an effort to achieve self-actualization and fulfillment within the context of a larger community of individuals, each with the right to pursue their own goals. It encompasses the uniqueness, dignity, diversity, freedom, happiness, and holistic well-being of the individual within a larger family, community, and population. It means being engaged in relationships and activities that are meaningful, that is aligned with both an individual's own values and humanistic values in a way that is satisfying to them. Flourishing is conditional on the contribution of individuals and requires enabling environments. So it's really about the individual, but their relationship to the whole. Um, this report says so much and more on flourishing, what education can and should be in the context of human well-being and welfare. It demonstrates integrated thinking at the crossroads of economic, social, political realities and makes policy recommendations. It even makes a recommendation for two additional pillars to UNESCO's four pillar approach to education, which is pretty you know, fundamental. Um, and so I invite all of you to read the report. I think Steve has linked it in the chat. Um, it's a very long report, 364 pages, something like that, but I do invite you to take a look. Um, we're running short on time, but I'd like to just very briefly also highlight, um, and you can stop share now with Angelia um, if you'd like, um, a second report, which is the UNESCO Future for Education report. It asks what role education can play in shaping our interrelated world and shared future as humanity looks to 2050 and beyond. 
The report proposes a new social contract for education. Um, and it really sits at the crossroads of education, this idea of our social, political, and economic future. Um, just to say very briefly, um, the, the, the content of the report includes a lot of this UN discourse on um, the environment, the climate crisis, and sort of the general concerns of development that are essential for humanity's future. Um, and it isn't quite as academically rigorous as the other report. Um, but what I would say though, is this report addresses in very much, in very in, in detail, um, so many aspects of the educational process, pedagogy, the evolving knowledge commons, the important work of teachers, the importance of schools and places of learning and of education across different cultures and, and regions. And so I would like to invite all of you to take a look at that as well. Um, to give you some idea of this report, I'd like to just share a very brief two minute video of um, sort of to conclude here. Oh dear, I seem to have, all right. And let me reshare because I forgot to share the sound. There we go. And this is uh, just really about the, gives a real, um, I think insight into the real spirit of the report into into its significance. So I'll let it speak for itself. The futures of humanity and our living planet are at risk. We are at a turning point. Urgent action is needed to change course and transform the future. Everyone alive today has a tremendous obligation to future generations to ensure that their world is one of human rights, abundance, and not scarcity. Education is one of the key ways we address inequality, exclusion, and work on healing our damaged planet. But to transform the world, education needs to be transformed. UNESCO launched its Futures of Education initiative to bring the world together to reimagine how education can shape the future. Despite the urgency of action and in conditions of great uncertainty, we have reason to be full of hope. Education can help us make a peaceful, just and sustainable world. For this, we need to renew education by asking what that we do now should be continued, what should be abandoned, and what needs to be invented afresh. A new social contract for education needs to be built. Collectively, we must strengthen education as a global common good. Let's all work together in our communities and across the world to ensure that education best supports our shared futures. All right, thank you all. Um, so that's all I have to present. Um, we do have to get to our meditation now. Um, I know a lot to think about and reflect on. Um, I see there's many, many um, comments in the chat. So I will just leave all of you to, you know, read those um, as you'd like. We'll leave the room open for a bit after the meditation is concluded. So if you'd like to continue chatting in the chat box, or if you'd like to, you know, grab some of those links or um, just read some of the comments, we'll, the chat room will be open um, with time for you to do that. But now I think it's, it's, a, it's a good idea to, to move on to the meditation. Um, so we have to give it its due, its due time and, and space. Thank <clears throat> you.
we link up in thought with all those people around the world who are working in this goodwill meditation group. We reflect upon the fact of relationship. With your family. With your community. With your nation. With the world of nations. and with the one humanity made up of all races and nations. We sound together the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail, let all people love. Reflect on your own and humanity's relationship with all those beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart.
Imagine that you are standing together within the center of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed within the consciousness of the heart of love. For some, this heart of love is known as the Christ, and other faiths have other names for the one at the center. Maintaining that high point of contact, let your thoughts reach out to include all members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active. Maintaining this two-way relationship, silently use the affirmation. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad. In my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Visualize the energy of love flowing from the hierarchy through the men and women of goodwill <clears throat> and into the hearts and minds of all people, infusing them with goodwill, and creating loving and harmonious relationships.
meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right relationship, and restoring peace on earth. Realize that you are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which the energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, solving its problems, and healing all cleavages. linked in thought with the men and women of goodwill all over the world, sound together the great invocation. We will use the adapted version today. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out 
and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. We look forward to seeing you um, next month for the webinar on December 28th, the same time. Um, and also a reminder, we invite you to join us every week at noon in your local time zone um, to contribute to um, the Goodwill Meditation work. Thank you all. <laughs>